More exclusive interviews. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by ElisaIlana.com. Here's Mulberry Lane. With over 10 million albums sold and performances for more than 11 million people, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is headed this direction once again for their winter tour. And every year we catch up with founder and composer of TSO, Paul O'Neill. Now 2014 will be the debut year for the new rock opera, The Christmas Attic. Now Paul's going to give you a behind-the-scenes peek at this year's show, and you can catch the November 13th performance at the Mid-America Center in Council Bluffs, and December 23rd, they'll be in Kansas City. Paul O'Neill is on our show to talk about TSO and the brand new tour of the Christmas Attic. Welcome to the show, Paul. Whoa, I'm impressed with those tight harmonies. You know, tight harmonies has been a dying art. It's, um, wow, I might have competition soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy to have you with us, and you're headed this way. Basically, because uh, Council Bluff has become our home away from home, because that's where we rehearse every year for the uh, winter tour, and it's, uh, we, we love it up there. And last year, by the way, we got a call from um, Berlin okay. asking if we could help them bring in you know, the right. new year by playing Brandenburg Gate and you know William Morris was like Paul no way you got two shows the night before you got Atlantic Ocean in between you're gonna have to do it another year but I'm like what if they don't ask me next year unlike Times Square Brandenburg Gate is designed you know to hold humongous amounts of people and they were expecting like 900,000 to a million wow. I just mm. had to go for it yeah you can't and, skip that yeah you know, we decided to risk it we got the Jets they're waiting on the tarmac we finished the shows took right off we landed Finished sound check with 15 minutes to spare, but that's when it got really magical. It started to get dark, midnight's approaching, and the German stage manager comes over and he goes, Paul, you're not gonna believe this. We thought we were gonna max out at about 1.1 million. We just crossed 2 million and it's still growing. Wow. And when we hit the stage at midnight, to just look at over 2 million people in one place, this just sea of humanity from all over the world, it was just, it was surrealistic and very dreamlike, you know, something I never thought I would experience in my life. It was just a great way to start the year. Oh, yeah, I bet. So now, this is the first tour of The Christmas Attic. So why now? No one ever expected the Christmas trilogy to like take off like it did. It kind of mm-hmm. took us all by surprise. So we did it for 13 years in a row. So we didn't have anything to guide us, except for Charles Dickens, who had five books about Christmas. Uh-huh. And he made his biggest money by reading the, A Christmas Carol for the holidays live. Really? But whenever, yeah, that was how he made his biggest money. Okay. But whenever he would try to do one of the other four, like The Cricket and the Hearth, they were like, no, it has to be A Christmas Carol. Interesting. But after 13 years, I'm like, guys, I'm switching to The Lost Christmas Eve, and we'll see what happens. So we did that for two years, and ticket sales went up. And then we decided to peek around the corner. And, and you, you write these, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, Amazon.com released Christmas Attic, released it on Kindle Books, and we were hoping it would go in the top 200 and stunned us all. It went number one and hung out there. Wow. So we said, okay. Time to do this one. We're going to switch to Christmas Attic, and this way we'll have done all three. It'll go full circle. And musicians, you love writing the albums, you love recording, and of course you love watching them go platinum, but it's not real until you play it in In front front of a live audience. Yeah. Paul O'Neill, founder of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, on the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, what about the Christmas Attic? Did that start as music first or the story first? I always write the story first. Okay. And the story usually, the idea comes in about five minutes and takes about a day or two to write it. Okay. And, and then I write the verses and the choruses, and that takes about a week, and that takes about another couple of weeks to finish it up and finish the arrangements. And then the thing that takes a long time 
is finding the right vocalist to mm. do the alchemy to bring the song to life. So now you know, do you try it out with different singers till you find what you feel is the magic? That's why we have 24 lead singers. Okay, yeah. And so if I need a great whiskey dust voice, I have it. If I need a super high female soprano, I have it. And also when we have the big choral numbers, it's just massive. Uh-huh. So you must be a really good judge of the singer meets the song. It's so important because you can have the best song in the world. And if you don't have the right singer to do the alchemy, to do the magic, you know, I learned a long time ago, a great song or a great storyline, it, it's only half the battle. Then you, you need, you know, the right artist to do the magic to uh, bring it to life. Yeah. And then you have to do that again, bringing it to the stage. That is also true. <laughs> <laughs> so now do but, you find that the singer that translates well in the studio also translates well on stage? Well, you see, that's it's one of the other things I kind of built into TSO. You know, over the decades I've been in the industry, it's a fault that I thought was built into the industry that was just completely accepted. In the 70s, they were releasing 30,000 albums a year. Another 30,000, only 400 recouped. Another 400, only 50 made real money. Wow. But they made so much money. They it made up for the, all the others. Right. But the labels expected you to tour. And by tour, I mean 11 months on, right. a month off, 11 months on. And the human voice is not a meant to sing two hours a night on top of Marshalls. The human vocal cords are these thin tissues. And it's not a matter of if you're going to destroy their voices. It's a matter of when. That's why we have 24 lead singers. Mm-hmm. You know, technically TSO is a prog rock band, but it's also an idea, an ideal. You know, right. number one, make the albums of the concerts, spare no amount of time or money, and deliver to the fans for the lowest possible price. Watch their money ten times more than you would watch your own. And number two, do no damage to the lead singer's voices. You know, and I like the philosophy behind that because you're also looking out for the artist. Oh, yeah. yeah. The label system just, they just never thought it through. Mm-hmm. But you got a label to believe in your concept. I was talking with Ahmed, you know, he said, describe it to me in, you know, bands. And I said, okay, it's like The Who, which is a rock opera, you know, meets, you know, Queen or Emerson, Lake and Palmer, you know, which puts a lot of classical music into it. Pink Floyd's, you know, light show, which is like the budget be damned. Uh-huh. Um, the Yardbirds. Okay. And Ahmed Erdogan looks at me and goes, the Yardbirds? <laughs> which is, you know, a small band from England that had, you know, uh-huh. a couple of gold records, Train Cup Roll and All Night Long for Your Love. I'm like, yeah, I know they were a small band, but out of that one little band came Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin, you know, yes. Eric Satin, Derek and the Dominoes, you know, Jeff Beck, Rod Stewart. A you launching know. pad, yeah. Yeah, and because you know, I always tell, whenever the young kids join the band, I say, in five years, if you're doing anything, what would it be? If they end up wanting to stay in TSO, great. If they want to use it as a stepping stone to something else, like Katrina Chester, when she joined at 19, um, she said, I asked her what you, you know, her dream was. She goes, Paul, I love Janis Joplin. And one day there's going to be a Broadway play about Janis and I got to be Janis. And then this Broadway play came through like 12 years ago called Love Janis. She says, can I go for it and come back if I don't get it? I said, you can go for it and we'll hire a publicist to help you get it. She got it. And she left a message on my machine. She goes, Paul, I got it. And listen, they're going to pay me money smoke cigarettes, drink whiskey, and sing Janis Joplin songs. They're going to pay me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a dream gig. (laughs) (laughs) Now, on a daily basis, Paul, do you find yourself doing more creative work or more business? Uh, More creative, always. I've been very, very lucky in that I've been able to uh, gather a a team of people around me. And the crew, which is over 360, 
you know, they're monsters. We consider them band members because they're the first ones in, they're the last ones out. You know, fingers crossed, uh, hopefully a couple more decades of, you know, doing this and avoiding, and then hopefully the kids will keep it going. So when we're on the old rockers home with the nurses going, do we have to hear these stories again? <laughs> Some of these kids will let us backstage and we won't have to eat gruel for one night. Yeah, there you go. Well, you've got it locked here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You're hearing from Paul O'Neill, founder of Trans-Siberian Orchestra. We'll be right back with more from Paul. He's going to give you a sneak peek about what's going to be happening on this year's tour. Keep it right here. You're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show.